listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. So good to worship with you guys. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. We're entering, embarking on the last chapter of the book, and we'll be finishing up the book of James this month, which is, uh, man, it's been, been a great book and looking forward to the next few weeks with you before we start our next series in February. Again, James chapter five, verse one. James five, verse one. Uh, if you guys don't mind putting up that picture, I think I've got, it's not a great picture. Um, yeah, there it is. So when we were back in Florida a couple weeks ago, uh, stayed at a hotel a couple of nights and had an hour, so I went down to the gym just to, we really went just to look at it, we didn't do anything, but <laughs> I went down in there and uh, I, was, I saw this sign and it made me laugh. Like a lot of these rules make sense to me. Like use equipment at your own risk. Um, follow all directions for use of equipment. That makes sense. Um, fitness centers is not supervised. Do not exercise alone. I mean, okay. Um, the last one, do not over-exercise. Discontinue use at first signs of stress. I don't know how you exercise by doing that, right? Like the second you feel a little tension or a little sweat or your heart rate go up, if you stop, then you're not exercising. You're just existing in a different room, right? Like you're just in a room with weights. You're not doing anything. No, to, to exercise, to, to get better, thanks guys, requires a little bit of stress, a little bit of sweat that you push yourself, right? That's how you get better, faster, stronger, all those things. In the Christian life, it's the same way. If you never are pushed out of your comfort zone, you're not gonna grow. You're not gonna get better, faster, stronger if you always are just coasting and cruising. One of the ways, James pushes us, pushes us out of our comfort zone a lot, but this is certainly a passage that, that can push us out of our comfort zone, not just to hear it. I don't know so much hearing about it, but to live it out pushes us out of our comfort zone. That's because he's, he's talking about money, money, money. It's about money. And, and that, for so many of us, can, can stress us out. Again, maybe hearing about it, I don't think we talk about it that much at Southcrest. I don't think it's like, oh, another sermon. Like, eh, I don't think we talk about it that much. But I think more so, as a believer, as you try to live out the principles of honoring God with your money, that, that can be difficult. It can push you out of your comfort zone, but that's exactly where James is gonna push this morning. It's, it's interesting the way he does it. I wanna read the text, and then we'll talk about a few things in his approach. So chapter five, verse one, he says, come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries, against, cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So this is an interesting uh, passage, the way James is writing this. There's uh, different opinions on exactly his approach and we don't wanna be dogmatic about it. I believe what James is doing, he's still obviously, he's writing, this is for believers, 
But he's writing verses one through six as if there is an audience of unbelievers. You track him with that? So it's, it's, it's like if I was speaking to you, but then I kind of, kind of do a little sidebar and it's like I'm talking to people who, who, who aren't believers, who maybe aren't in this room that they don't know Christ and I'm addressing them, but you're getting the benefit of hearing it as well. Well, why do I say that? A couple of things uh, about this passage that would lead me to, to believe that and say that. So one of the reasons is if you look at verse five, when he says, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you, that is kind of classic Old Testament prophet language they would use to speak to um, wicked unbelievers who, who didn't have a relationship with God and judgment was coming quickly upon them. That those words were often used for them. Another reason I believe he's talking to, uh, again, it's like he's addressing unbelievers, is because there's no call to repentance in verses five through six. So if you look at verses 13 through uh, 17 of chapter four, even though he doesn't call them brothers or sisters, there's still a call to repentance. That there's still this, hey, you're walking with God, you need to adjust in this area of your life. Whereas in verses five, or chapter five, one through six, where we're at today, there's not a call to repentance. It's just, hey, judgment is coming. And then a third reason I believe that he's, again, talking to believers, but really addressing it as if it's to unbelievers is because when we get to verse seven next week, it makes way more sense if verses one through six are as if he's talking to unbelievers. And we'll see next week the encouragement that comes in verses seven and on, but that's not where the focus today. So again, I think he's talking as if he's talking to unbelievers, but believers get to hear it. Now, what's, what's the point in it? Like, why would he do that? You guys ever been to, uh, I'm sure there are other places, but you ever been to the airport and you see the moving, moving sidewalks? So if you're not if you're not seeing that, it's think it's like an escalator but flat, and so uh, I think it serves two purposes. If um, if, if you're very elderly or uh, injured or just in, having trouble walking, it could just get you from one point to another. But also if if you're in a little better shape, you can get on there and keep walking on the moving sidewalk and, and get where you need to go quickly, right? If you watch, if you like to people watch like I do, it's funny. Every now and then somebody's on their one of them cell phones, and they're not paying attention, and they start to get on the moving sidewalk, but it's going the wrong direction, right? Now, quickly, they normally quickly realize it because if, if they either trip or just they realize they're not making any progress, right? Like, they're walking, they're not going anywhere because it's, the track they're on is moving in the wrong direction. Where really, if you get on the right side of the moving sidewalk, it's meant to propel you quicker and into the right place in your life. Well, why do I think James is, is writing this passage this way. Again, next week we'll see there's some encouragement, but he's helping believers see, okay, here's how God thinks of these godless rich people who have lots of wealth, but don't have a relationship with God. And are you walking on the same track, think moving sidewalk, are you walking on the same track as them? Because if you're walking on the same track as these people who have lots of money but don't know God, if you're living that same lifestyle, approach your money with the same mindset as them, then you may think you're making progress moving towards God, but because you're on the wrong track with your finances, with your money, with, with the wrong mindset, you're actually not making any progress. It's hindering your growth in your relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So it, it, I think he's helping us see if you get off the worldly 
track mindset of your finances. Are you, are you the same as them? If you are, move from that and get on track with, with your finances, or yeah, get on track with your finances with the Lord. That will propel you in your growth in Christ. So much of James is about learning to live a life that brings heart to the joy of God. Well, it, it, your finances, when you surrender them to the Lord and quit living like the rest of the world and live instead like God calls you to live, it equips you, it enables you to live a life that brings joy to the heart of God. So I think as we're studying this this morning, I wanna ask you, like, are, are you looking just like the people of the world, which is opposed to the ways of God? Or are your finances surrendered to the Lord? Maybe you're stunted in your spiritual growth because every time the Lord brings up a little bit of stress around your finances in your life, rather than leaning into the difficulty and pressing into what God has for you, maybe you're stunted because you always just give up and say, I'm gonna do things my way. I don't wanna surrender my finances to God. Like we've seen over and over in James, he puts up the mirror of God's word in front of our lives and requires us to examine ourselves. So here's how we're gonna approach it this morning. I wanna walk through um, the text, verses one through six, without really giving you any points necessarily, but just walking through, kind of unpacking it as James is addressing unbelievers. And then after that, we'll see what are the implications for Christians, for believers, which I'm gonna assume is, is the majority of us in this room that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So James 5, verse one. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Again, he's saying judgment is coming. Condemnation is coming. Listen, not because they have money. No, it's because of what they're doing with their money. Make sure that's clear. God is not opposed to you having wealth. He's opposed with you having wealth and keeping it all to yourself, right? Joseph of Arimathea, he was a, a pretty wealthy man who when Jesus was crucified, Joseph put Jesus in one of his tombs. He had the money, the wealth, that he had family tombs. That's kind of lost in our culture, I recognize. But in that culture at that time, to have family tombs at a, at a garden tomb actually required money. But he used his money for, you could say, kingdom purposes. If you read the, New, the rest of the New Testament, Lydia was a seller of purple. This was a wealthy businesswoman. She was well off. She did well with her business. But if you read, especially Acts and the rest of the epistles, the other, the epistles, I should say, she used her finances, her resources to further kingdom work. She supported missionaries. She, she, she made it happen, made missionary work happen. So God's not opposed to wealth. He's opposed to you being selfish with your wealth. He's opposed to you having riches, but not having a relationship with him. So he says, come now, you rich people, weep and woe over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. It's this picture of so much lavish wealth. You have so much, it's overflowing that it's just rotting away. It's just sitting, doing nothing except rotting. It's of no use to you or anyone else because you've got way more than you could ever imagine or need while other people are in 
need. He says, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's such a weird image, right? This is again, Old Testament imagery. It's a picture again of judgment. He's saying, as you're, it doesn't mean literally, but as your, your clothes and your possessions and all these lavish possessions that you have, as they rot and they corrode, it's actually a testimony against you and it, it's gonna bring judgment on you. It's actually gonna, you think it's bringing you pleasure and delight, but it's actually in the end going to hurt you because you've stored up treasure in the last days. Think about that. So as Christ came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is what? It's at hand. It's here. You can reach out and touch it. So Jesus has ushered in the last days. We should be as believers, as people in general, thinking about how to live for him, how to find our greatest pleasure and purpose in him. But these people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with God, rather than investing in kingdom things, they're storing up treasure for themselves. So in a day when they should be thinking about, man, I need to invest in the kingdom of God and the things of God, they don't even know God, so they're just hoarding everything for themselves. And he's saying, it's the last days. Like the clock is ticking and you're just keeping everything for yourself. Some judgment's coming. Isn't it interesting? He says, their corrosion, so as you're, uh, talking to these unbelievers, their overwhelming amount of possessions as they corrode and just rot away because they, they've got more than they could ever need or want. It says, it will be a witness against you. It'll be a, a witness against these people. A witness meaning, in this context, evidence, proof, a testimony that, yeah, these people didn't know God. Yeah, they were wealthy, that's okay, but the problem was they were selfish with their wealth. They kept it all for themselves, and they didn't know God. It's interesting. We often think, believers included, we often think of the things we have as being a testimony of how cool we are, right? Or uh, the, the status that we think we deserve or the value that we, that we think we've earned because we have these things, so now I'm, I'm particular. And a certain level of person, certain level of popularity, or, or now I've attained this status. James is saying, actually, for the unbelievers, when they are selfish with their wealth and keep it all for themselves, hoard it all for themselves, it's actually a testimony that they don't know God. It's actually a witness, not of how cool they are, but of how destitute they are apart from the Lord. There's another witness he brings up. Verse four, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. So not only, say not only is their overwhelming wealth that's just corroding and rotting away because they can't keep it all, they can't keep up with it all. Not only is that a testimony to the fact that they don't have a relationship with God, they've just used their wealth for themselves. Also, the people that they're robbing from, their cries to the Lord for help are a testimony of how selfish they've been with their wealth and their riches and their resources. It was interesting, this is in today's context or in their context, to the, to the wealthy person, a day's wages maybe are not a big deal. They can be an inconvenience. Oh, I gotta pay that person. But so often to, to the average daily worker, 
to miss a day's pay could, could be life-changing, certainly in, in, in this context. What is maybe a nuisance to the, to the big wig, to the person who has all the money, is the lifeline for the poor person. By the way, I meant to say this earlier. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, this has nothing to do with me because I ain't rich. <laughs> I've looked at several studies all within the past five to 10 years. If you make minimum wage in America, you are wealthier than about 85% of the rest of the world. So I, I, I really don't like, I don't think, especially talking about unbelievers, I don't think we all need to feel like, oh my gosh, I am that person. Like, I, I, maybe a little hard on yourself, but to think this doesn't apply, uh, this applies. All of us could probably fall into one of these categories of having some wealth, whether we realize it or not. And by the way, I, I would tell you too, teenagers, that the patterns and the mindsets that you begin to make now about finances, they'll carry with you for the rest of your life. So it's about building the right patterns right now. I can't help but think about some of the people that James is thinking of and talking about, the people that have withheld pay from their workers, that they started off as selfish, hoarding little teenagers who only saw things for themselves and just grew into, as they got more money and more power, they just continued those patterns. He says in verse six, he says, you've condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So whether that was literal killing or whether that was because they're robbing of the, robbing these poor people of food or robbing them of a place to live or robbing them of a job so they could have a place to live and could buy food. He's saying, you've condemned them, you've murdered them. And he's, when he says righteous, he's talking about people who have a relationship with God. So James here specifically is thinking of godless rich people who are either explicitly or, or implicitly killing believers because of their own selfishness. This happens today in China, Russia, North Korea, just to name a few. While leaders under the guise of, it's the People's Republic, we, we are, it's all equality. The, the rich just get richer and the poor are starving. Under Chairman Mao's leadership in China, it's estimated about 30 million men, women, and children died of starvation while he had over 50 luxurious estates that he could travel to. So this is not just a problem in James' world, as my friend calls it, a dog-eat-dog -dog world. No, this is a problem even today across the world that leaders rich, the wealthy who don't know God are abusing their power to condemn and murder those who know God. It's interesting, he says, the cry of these people who are being abused, it's reached the ears of the Lord of armies, that is the Lord of hosts, that the Lord is a warrior and he sees. These people, these rich who don't know God and who are abusing the poor and powerless and those who are pursuing God, they think they're getting away with it. They think they can hide all their documents, but God sees. And there's coming a day of reckoning. That's why he says, you've lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourself. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So you're living like, oh, it's just a big party, but this is a day of slaughter. The time is coming for judgment and punishment. They can gorge themselves on whatever they want, but judgment is coming. That word indulge is an interesting word. Or, uh, I say interesting word. It, I love the picture there. The idea is you give free reign to your desires and wants. So think about like 
reins on a horse's on a horse. If you let those reins go, you're just giving it free reign, right? And that can run wherever it wants, do whatever it wants. He's saying these godless rich who have wealth but don't have a relationship with God, they've given free reign to their desires. So whatever it is they want, they just go get. Whatever it is they think they, they, they quote, need, they, they just go get and go do. This kind of person can talk themselves into anything, right? Hmm, I saw that ad. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna need that one day in my life. <laughs> pretty sure that would make me happier if I had that. So you just get on Amazon and click real quick. They've, they've totally given the reins of their finances over to their desires. It says you fatten your hearts on a day of slaughter. You live luxuriously on the earth and indulged yourselves. Judgment's coming for these people. Now, think back to when I started a little bit ago, saying that he's addressing it like it's to unbelievers, but, but believers have the privilege of, of listening in. And again, one of the big reasons is to compare. Does my life, as a Christian who has a relationship with God, does my life look like that of Christ or does it look like a godless rich person, person who has wealth but has no relationship with the Lord? Again, James shoves that big old fat mirror in front of us and says, take a look. What do you see? To help us do that, I wanna give you three questions I think this text forces us to ask of ourselves as believers. Here's the first one. Does the way I spend money reflect a selfless heart or a selfish heart? Does the way I spend money reveal a selfless heart or a selfish heart? In my finances, do I have any room to be a blessing to other people, to invest in the things of God, or is everything just for me? See, as a maturing believer, you realize and you remember and know, and, and it's all through the Bible, it starts in Genesis 12 even, that God is good to you to be good through you. He, wa he wants to, you to enjoy his goodness. It's, it's actually, for Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy, it, it's good to enjoy the things of God, like to enjoy his blessings, his gifts. But as a believer, we're to, yes, accept them, but also see how they can go, not just to us, but through us to be a blessing to other people. Do your finances reveal a selfless heart or a selfish heart? See, that's why these godless rich people were keeping back pay from these workers because they were selfish. They, they lived luxuriously. That They pampered themselves to no end while others struggled. Again, it's not wrong to enjoy nice things, but I'm not always pampering myself with the very best, whatever I want, at the expense of being a blessing to other people. I remember one of the first churches I was a youth pastor at, at different youth functions, there were always these two middle school boys. It wasn't here, so don't worry. Don't try to figure out who it is. There were, there were always these two middle school boys who... Any time we had food, they were always the first two in line. 
like would kind of push people out of the way and get up there. And you know, they, would, they would say, well, we're growing boys. They would, and just mound, just this unbelievable gluttony, mound so much food on their plates. And then before the line, everybody hadn't even gotten through, they would normally cut and try to get seconds. And I don't know why, that just drove me crazy. <laughs> Could you be more selfish? Some of us, that's kind of how we act with our finances, right? You gotta be first, whatever it is that you want. And then before you even think about maybe being a blessing to other people, you just circle back to what else could I, could I get with my money? Is how you spend money reveal a selfless heart or a selfish heart? Philippians 2, Paul tells us to look out for the needs of others. And that's the mindset we have in Christ. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus, then the gospel is the example for how you live your life in every aspect of your life, including your finances. See, Jesus saw our need, humbled himself, left heaven's throne to come and die a sinner's death so he could meet our need. He gave up the riches of heaven for a moment to come and meet our need. And as a believer, that's the attitude we are to have of giving up my needs, my wants to be a blessing to other people. God is good to you to be good through you. What do your finances reveal? A second question I think this text begs us to ask is this. Does how you spend money reveal an eternal mindset or a momentary mindset? Does how I spend money reveal a, an eternal mindset or a momentary mindset? He says to this godless rich people, you've lived luxuriously on the earth. What he's hinting at is, hey, you've got wealth, but you don't know God. So yes, you've had a luxurious life on earth. It's been great, you've been well pampered, but that's not gonna last because of the things of this earth don't last. They corrode, they fade, they don't make it. As believers, we're called to have an eternal mindset with every day of our life, but yes, even with our finances to invest in the things of God, to invest in the kingdom of God. This is not a, uh, maybe, this is a, a metaphor. So I'm not, what I'm about to say is not an example of right or wrong. It's a, I'm just trying to give you an illustration. Had lots of conversations with friends lately. Even heard a, a podcast, I wasn't expecting to, for this guy to bring this up, but brought this issue up again. And they, I've heard several friends say, and this, uh, it was Ron Beatbow on this podcast, but say, that kids won't remember the gifts you give them, but they'll remember the experiences you give them. And I had so many friends, again, I think that that can be hard with like four-year-olds at our age. I think like, we're gonna give you this experience. So like, what is an experience, right? But I think it's, as the more mature people become, they appreciate experiences over, over toys, right? Because toys break. Or like, what is cool one moment, the next moment takes second place to the box, right? Like, they don't last. So I've been encouraged, hey, invest not just in things for your kids, invest in experiences and in, in trips and in, in memories because those will last. I think that's a good picture. I'm not, that's not a right or wrong issue, but that's a good picture of what James is talking about here, that getting us to consider, are you just investing in the toys of this earth? Because they're gonna break. And what you love today, you probably won't like tomorrow. Invest in the things of God. Why do I do that? You invest in people. You put money places where it will impact people. 
So churches that have a kingdom mindset, I'm a little biased, but South Crest is one of those. <laughs> you put it in organizations and ministries and businesses that have a kingdom mindset, you invest your money there rather than just buying up stuff to fill your own wants and selfish desires. Well, how can I know that? How can I begin to see if I have a selfless heart or a selfish heart? How can I see if I have a, uh, an eternal mindset or a momentary mindset? Honestly, this is not gonna be fun, but probably the best way to do it is just to look at your bank account. Like if you're not sure the last time you checked your bank account, it's hard to do this, right? I would even say, some of y'all, I'm giving you homework, you need a budget. Like first you gotta know where your money is going and then you, begin, then you can begin to tell it where to go. I think one of the most convicting things for me in my life is every week when I look at our budget and do the bills, it's a every week time for me to look in the mirror and go, man, am I being selfish or selfless with my, with my finances? I think one of the best, or I'll say it this way. So many of us are struggling with this area because we, we run with people who have a worldly mindset. So what I mean is we're called to, to get on that walking, moving sidewalk that propels us towards growth in Christ and living a kingdom mindset. But so many of us, we're on a, a moving sidewalk that is going against the ways of, against the ways of God. With, we're with people that are investing only in themselves, only in the momentary. And it's hard to get off that track when you're walking with those people. Does that make sense? So some of you may need to reconsider like the, the crowd that you're running with. Maybe like to get maybe hopefully even more practical, maybe some of us need to quit following certain accounts on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, TikTok, whatever it may be. Or maybe you need to delete your Amazon account. That would be really hard for me. <laughs> like, what do you need to do to quit making it so easy and so tempting to be selfish and momentary with your finances? You know, if you look at your budget, look at your bank account, I think it'll help you answer one final question that James forces us to ask in this text as believers, and it's this. Does how I spend money reveal that I know where to find joy? Does that, yeah. Does how I spend money reveal that I know where to find joy? Why do people do what these godless rich people were doing in, in James 5? Why do they just store up so much stuff for themselves? Why do they keep collecting so many things that they're collecting things that they can't keep? Why do they keep doing that? Because they feel like it'll make them happy. And there is momentary satisfaction in indulging yourself, right? If you leave here today and go and just gorge yourself on chips and queso, it's fun for a little bit, right? We, we do it. We're selfish and momentary in our finances because we think it'll bring us joy. What James is helping us see here is more stuff doesn't give you more joy. Like, y'all, it's only January, what, 8th? If more stuff gave us more joy, then following Christmas, we should just be so happy and giddy. But how many, how many of you maybe are actually more depressed than you were before Christmas? You got more stuff, you got the things you wanted, but you're actually more sad. Here's the reality. Stuff can't make you happy. It doesn't last. 
It just rots away and causes you to be selfish and just feeds that inner desire to get more stuff. A lot of commentators believe that James, who again is the younger brother, kid brother of Jesus, believe that he wrote James as kind of a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which but that's kind of a fun way to read it. If you just in your quiet time want to read it that way, it's kind of cool to read Sermon on the Mount and then read James, kind of see it as a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Heaven has a pretty good bouncer. (laughs) For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basically saying what James says, it's gonna corrode on earth to store it up in heaven. But I love what he says at the end there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to propel your heart towards God. You want to propel your your life towards living a life that brings pleasure to the heart of God, brings joy to the heart of God. Then invest your things in the things of God. Invest your finances, your resources in the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, where you put your treasure, there your heart will be. My wallet looks like a paper map. Don't be, it's a wallet, I promise. People are always confused. But where I put my wallet, where I put my money, my heart is attached to that. So just like as a quick side, like maybe a quick metaphor. So you want to inv- feel closer to your spouse? Then invest some time there. You want to feel closer to God? You, wanna, you want your heart to be with Jesus? Well, then invest your finances there. Invest your resources there. Do you know where to find joy? We say often here that our goal is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Does your budget reflect that you actually believe that your greatest pleasure and greatest purpose can be found in Jesus? What do the numbers say? Got to visit a Holocaust museum in Jerusalem. It was overwhelming. But one of the quotes that stuck with me, it was a German officer at a concentration camp to his underlings. And he said about the Jews to these other Nazis, he said, we must keep them deceived until death. The picture was, or the reality was they would keep them deceived. Oh, we're we're going to get you all showered. So you have to leave all your belongings, take off all your clothes. We're going to get you all showered. And they would take them into a room and then just kill them all, gas them all. But the Germans knew if we can keep them deceived they won't fight back. If we can keep them deceived, they'll just kind of mosey on through and we can kill them all. Satan would love nothing more than to keep you deceived about your finances, that you would just kind of mosey on through life Well, everybody else is buying stuff for themselves. Everybody else is just kind of getting what they want. Everybody else is just investing in the things of of this world. He would love to keep you deceived until death. Now, if you don't know Christ, that means hell for you, eternal damnation. Again, you can turn to Christ and have forgiveness and hope in life. You will turn from your sin and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. But even as a believer, he would love to keep you deceived until death, not so that you will go to hell, but so that you will have wasted your time on earth investing in the fading 
tarnishing toys of this world. He would love to keep you deceived so that you're selfish, focused on what's right in front of you and can't ever find joy. How many of us have been on the rat race, the, the, just this never ending wheel of trying to find joy by buying stuff and God this morning right now is saying, hey, you're not gonna find joy in those things. You're gonna find joy in me. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 